Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we do come to you now in the precious name of the Lord Jesus, mighty God that you are. And we pray, Lord, that in your greatness and your mightiness this morning, that you would, Lord, open the doors of our hearts, Lord, help us to hear your word. Help us to hear your voice through your scripture this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 46, verse one, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here am I. He said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little ones, and their wives, in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons, his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with them into Egypt. Okay, now here we go. We're starting a new chapter, chapter 46. And in our last study, we saw how Jacob had finally come to the determination that he would go. He's going to go down, he's going to see Joseph now, and that was the impact of the last verse of chapter 45. Keep in mind, there are no chapter divisions in the original here. That was added by man, so you you have to sort of read it along. But it's useful for us, because otherwise you wouldn't know what I was talking about. So I'm talking about the end of chapter 46, 45 rather, in verse 28, where it says, And Israel said, It's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'll go and see him before I die. So from that verse, we can see Jacob. It's very graphic. We can see him at this, you know, he was trying to be convinced by his sons, and all of a sudden he just throws his his arms open and he cries with such a relief. It's enough. It's enough. The battle's over. The decision's been made. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I believe that. And I will go and see him. That was his decision. I will go and see him before I die. So, and as Jacob does this, we're so happy for Jacob. I mean, this is a really happy time. I mean, he's all these years, he's hoped against hope that maybe somehow Joseph is still alive and I'll be able to see him before I die. And oh, it's so wonderful for Jacob to see him now as he decides that he has nothing to keep him in Canaan. He's starving in Canaan. And so off to Egypt, he's packed up, moved on to it. And that's how we open chapter 46, which can be broken down. The chapter can be broken down, if you're interested, how this chapter sort of breaks down. 
it organizationally. Verses 1 through 4, Jacob has, is assured by God at Beersheba that he should go down into Egypt. Verses 5 through 8 is the actual move of Jacob and his family into Egypt. And then there's a large part of this chapter, verses 8 through 27, where there's a very careful listing of each of the family members, their names, who came down into Egypt uh, with Jacob. That's very important. This is a transplantation of the whole Jewish people into Egypt. And then verses 28 through 30 is where Joseph meets Jacob. And then the last part, verses 31 through 34, is Joseph instructing his family how to answer to Pharaoh, what to say to Pharaoh. So in verse 1, where we read of the great transplantation from Canaan to Egypt with the words, and Israel took his journey with all that he had. So what we're reading here is that, and you, you drop down and you'll see it a little bit there in verse 6, he takes his cattle and all their goods. Now, why is it important that the Bible notes here in, in verse 1 and verse 6 that, that, that uh, Jacob took everything that he had in Canaan? Can you think of why that's important to note here? Okay, there's no going back. Anything else? Anybody remember what Pharaoh sent as a message to Jacob? He said, don't take your stuff. Leave it there. He said that in, in, in Genesis 45 and uh, 20. You know, he said, uh, he said, regard not your stuff. He says, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. So, you know, of course, Jacob believes Pharaoh, so he leaves all his stuff behind, right? No way. He thinks to himself, I don't want an Egyptian toothbrush. I don't know what that's going to be like. You know, and so he, he doesn't leave it all behind. He packs it all up. And he comes into Egypt, and so, and um, and there were differences between the uh, well, the Canaanites, where they lived, their customs in Egypt. For example, Egyptians were, have been, are, always will be big on linen, right? Egyptian linen, and um, and so every their clothes were linen. So if it was cold, they had several layers of linen. It was an abomination for them to wear skins. They didn't wear skins. They, they hate, they, they, it was an abomination for them to wear wool. They didn't wear wool. So, you know, Jacob maybe knew this, and he says, I like wool. I like skins. So he takes his clothes. All right, whatever. But anyway, it's just a lot easier for Jacob to just take it all with him, and then he can throw it away if he needs to in Egypt, whatever. So the wagons are loaded up with all their stuff. Jacob, their wives, their children, the animals are following off. It's a great caravan that's heading now in the direction of Egypt. And now he, he starts off in this place, Hebron, and, and, he, and we, we read about he comes to a place called Beersheba. It's about 13 miles. So, so we read that Jacob comes about 13 miles on his journey, and he calls a halt to the caravan there at Beersheba. That's verse 1. Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. So this is an interesting scene because what we see here is the caravans moving along. They're on their way to Egypt. And then Jacob says, halt, don't go any further. And Jacob then, the old man that he is, gets down off the wagon and he says, he calls for animals so that he can sacrifice them to the Lord, to Jehovah Jesus. So Jacob 
Well, we get the picture here as he's been watching and he's been thinking in his mind. And I want you to try to get into the mind of Jacob now. He's thinking as Beersheba is getting closer and closer. And when they reach Beersheba, he calls a halt. This is a decision that Jacob has made, a very important decision. It's a very important choice that Jacob has made here to stop at Beersheba. Beersheba means the well of the oath because that was the place where Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, had made an agreement with the Philistine ruler Abimelech, and there was a well involved. So they called it the well of the oath. But God had done a great thing for Abraham there at Beersheba. When God gave Abraham peace with his enemies, and so Abraham decided that that place, Beersheba, was going to be very special to Abraham, very special. And he made it a place that he went to often, and he beautified it. He said, you know, he beautified it, and he also made it kind of private when he went to go meet with God. And what he did in Genesis 21.33, 21.33 Genesis, it says, Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So Abraham, he, 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 he's got this well here. He's met with God. He said, this is what I want my life to be. I want my life to be a place of continual meeting with God. I'm going to make a grove. I'm going to plant a grove here. It's going to make it private, and it's going to be beautiful. So this is Abraham's grove around this well. And, and, and then after God had saved Isaac from being set on Mount Moriah, by providing the ram in the stead of Isaac, Abraham, when he came down off that mountain with Isaac, he thought again of Beersheba. So he moves his whole family to Beersheba because Abraham just loved Beersheba. He loved to be the place where he called on the name of the Lord. So Beersheba for Abraham became the central location for his life because that was the place where he met with God. And that's why Abraham decided to beautify the place, spent so much time making the grove. And we can picture that beautiful grove that Abraham planted there and, and made for the privacy where he meets with God. Probably the altar's in the middle of the grove. And, 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 and there's a well there. It's very convenient. He gets thirsty. And uh, so, so Beersheba is really a wonderful place because it's a meeting place with God. And after, and like I said, after Abraham and Isaac emerge off of Mount Moriah, they live there. They live there. And this is where Isaac continues to live in Beersheba, um, even after Abraham died. I want you to understand about Isaac. Isaac is not an adventurous person. He's not an innovator. You know, if you're, Isaac is, he's a mama's boy. <laughs> he's under the apron of, of Sarah. He's in the shadow of Abraham. So Abraham lives at Beersheba, and Isaac lives at Beersheba. And I want to tell you, there was a lot of concern and worry about what was going to happen to Isaac after his dad and mama died. But we'll get to that. So Isaac continues in his father's practice of meeting God at Beersheba. And Isaac has seen his father put so much emphasis in his life in meeting with God that it was just natural for him to do the same thing. So Isaac kept up the grove at Beersheba. He kept up the, he kept the altar from falling apart. And so God became a very important part of Isaac's life at Beersheba. 
And then when Jacob ran away as a fugitive because his brother was going to kill him, then he, 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 it says in Genesis 28.10, Genesis 28.10, Jacob, when Jacob ran away, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and Jacob came out of Beersheba. So there's a lot of emphasis here. This is the last place that Jacob has been and remembers where his family, and now keep in mind, his family have this practice of worshiping Jehovah Jesus. It's at Beersheba. So it's got a lot. So now the caravan is moving along, and we can see Jacob in this caravan. He's silent, and he's thinking about all the memories at Beersheba. He's in deep thought of how rich the times were when his grandfather Abraham met God at Beersheba and how God reaffirmed his contract, his covenant, with Abraham at Beersheba, with Isaac. And God would make Abraham's seed as the sand of the sea, and he'd give Abraham this land of Canaan. It's all tied to Beersheba. And so, so as the caravan's moving along, Isaac is real quiet. He's in a deep meditation. He's thinking about all these rich times of when his father Isaac also met God at Beersheba and heard he heard him reaffirm the contract, the covenant. And for Jacob, it's been a long, long time since he's been to Beersheba. And so many memories now are just flooding over Jacob's soul. And he thinks of Beersheba, as, and when the caravan comes to Beersheba, and that's why he cries, stop, stop. Now, the caravan stops. Jacob climbs down off of it. He's looking at the grove. It's probably really in disrepair not trimmed, not beautiful, like when Abraham and Isaac lived there. He kind of thinks about that. He walks through the grove. He sees the old well, the well of Beersheba, probably broken down also, not cared for. The place looks like a ghost town to him. And then he comes to the central part of Beersheba, which is the altar. And there we can see Jacob, the old man, working to repair the altar and putting the stones of the altar back in place where they used to be. And then we can see him getting the wood and putting it under the place of the sacrifice so that the uh, the sacrifice could be burnt up in the burnt offering. He's old. He's weak. This is the last thing, really, that we read about that Jacob sort of does in his life, the way it works. He's he's repairing the altar at Beersheba. And after the altar, he's got the altar prepared there, and the wood set in order, for the burnt sacrifice, we can see him just sitting down and looking at that altar, and he's thinking to himself, my grandfather Abraham is dead, and this used to be his altar, but the God of my grandfather Abraham is not dead, and I will call on the name of the name of the God of Abraham at this altar, just like Abraham did. And, 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 and then he's thinking, as he's kind of meditating there, my father Isaac is dead, and this used to be his altar. But the God of my father Isaac is not dead. And I'm going to call on the name of the God of Isaac at this altar, just like my father Isaac did. And so that's, that's, that's what he did there. And, and then there's just so much emotion that's flooding over Jacob's soul at Beersheba. There was so much family history, so much that made his family different from all the families of the world. His family had an altar at Beersheba, and Jacob feels compelled now to be the grandson of Abraham and to be the son of Isaac 
and take his place as the last patriarch of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as he calls now on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at Beersheba. And us, we stand back and we watch this great man of God, Jacob, call on the name of God at Beersheba. It's the last trip that Jacob will make in his life. He knows that. It's the last time that he'll ever see Beersheba. He knows that. And after he leaves Beersheba, Jacob will only have his memories to go back to to visit Beersheba. So when Jacob was there at Beersheba, Jacob was thinking to himself, this is where it all began. This is where it all began. I was born here in Beersheba. I ran away from Beersheba when Isaac wanted to kill me. Esau wanted to kill me. And then I went to Uncle Laban in Haran, and I ran away from him, from Laban, and I've moved from place to place. Now I'm moving again down to Egypt. I'll never be back here again. I'm a pilgrim. That's what he thinks. He's got a caravan waiting for him there. This is just a stop, just a whistle stop. I'm a pilgrim. My life has ever been a pilgrim. That's the way I started my life in Beersheba, as a pilgrim. That's how I'm coming down to the end of my life as a pilgrim. And Jacob remembers that his grandfather Abraham was very rich, but he never owned any land. He never owned any land except for a burying place called Machpelah that he bought to bury Sarah in. And, And in his negotiation for that land, Abraham said in Genesis 23, 4, Genesis 23, 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And this is how Jacob is summing up his life. And when he gets down there to Egypt, these thoughts are so much in his mind. The caravan, the pilgrim, his grandfather's words, that when he stands before Pharaoh, he says to him in Genesis 47, 9, And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage or 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So he stands in front of Pharaoh, and he tells him, I'm a pilgrim. He tells him, my grandfather Abraham was a pilgrim, and my father Isaac was a pilgrim. And Pharaoh's going to think to himself, poor fellow. He's like a gypsy. He's just moving from place to place. And that's how the Bible describes these fathers, patriarchs, in Hebrews 11.9. Hebrews 11.9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And then in, in Hebrews 11.13, Hebrews 11.13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. In Hebrews 13.14, Hebrews 13.14, here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So even when Pharaoh will offer him the best of the land of Egypt, Jacob will say to himself, it's great, but it's not for me. I'll make provision that I'm not going to be buried here in, in uh, Egypt. It's going to be back, back in that cave that my grandfather bought. 
because I don't want anyone to ever think that Jacob made Egypt his home. And that's the picture of how God wants us to view our lives in this world. With a kind of abstinence, as it says in 1 Peter 2.11, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Okay, so now Jacob, he offers his sacrifices in verse 1. It says he offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And Jacob would have offered in these sacrifices, sacrifices of thanksgiving and sacrifices of prayer. Now, first of all, let's just kind of consider the aspect of Jacob offering sacrifices of thanksgiving. What would Jacob be thankful for? How about a change in his sons? Any change in his sons? They're different. They're different. This has been the great burden in his heart, the deception of his sons, the treachery, the murderous spirit. He always believed they murdered Joseph. They're different now. They're not the same. They are repentant, and so therefore, they're, they're, they're different. Right. What else? Where's he going to? Come on, he's going to Maui. <laughs> this is Goshen. He's going to live in Maui. <laughs> That's something to be thankful for. Okay. And uh, he's got a beautiful place to live there. He's got food. All right. So this is part of what he does. He thanks God for these things. And then, um, but there is a transition also because he, he has a prayers as well. And you can, what does he pray? What do you think is part of his prayer when you look at verse three? Verse three here, what is, what is, what is he praying about? He's afraid. He's afraid to go down to Egypt. And when we think of Jacob now, afraid to go down to Egypt, this gives us insight into the prayers that were behind his sacrifices. So he's coming to God at Beersheba. He wants direction because he's afraid to now to go down to Beersheba. So with his sacrifices, he's bringing a request to God of what he's afraid of. And by the way, this is a good way to bring prayer to God, request to God. First, by starting off with what we are thankful for, what we are thankful to God for, and then moving on to what we want God to do for us. That's the best way to make requests to God, which is a pattern given to us in Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Don't just come to God and say, I want whining, I want, I want, I want, but come to him and says, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, and I want, I want, I want. <laughs> okay? All right. Now, you think about Jacob here, afraid to go to Egypt. What are some of the reasons that Jacob would have to be afraid of going down to Egypt? It's the promised land. He's leaving the land that was given to him. Okay. So there's a lot of reasons why he's afraid. As we've mentioned, it's another country. He never thought about moving to another country. And affliction, slavery, and hard oppression. That was a promise that was given to Abraham. That was scary. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 